I want to let you know today that I want to give you first a state of the universe address. God is still on the throne. He is still in control. And all things end with the redemption of all things. That at the end, no matter what eschatology, the belief of end times that you have, it's kind of irrelevant unless you don't believe that in the end he's going to wipe away every tear. He's going to make every wrong right. And that at the end, he really is a good father. You may have not had an amazing natural father. You may have not had somebody who spoke life into you that you could trust and felt safe with. Maybe they chose work over you. Maybe they chose other people over you. You may have experienced hardship and abuse that I could never understand and do not want to pretend that I do. But I can promise you this. The main theme of scripture is he is a good father. That he's not just a God in the distance. He's a God who draws near. I mean, when you go to other nations and you see lands like India and you see lands like Thailand and you see the worship of literally thousands and thousands of God, the most ra- gods, the most radical message you can give them is there is one God and he is a father and he loves you. That's the most radical message you can hand. The message that God actually knows your name, knows the hairs on your head, and loves you infinitely is the most radical message that we can hand to the world. Do you understand that the gospel is not the cross? It's the revelation that he is in our midst now. We've been preaching the gospel is the good news. No, the gospel, the gospel. Jesus couldn't, you guys, Jesus, I've said this before in this church, but Jesus told them to go preach the gospel. So how could the gospel be the cross? If Jesus told them to go preach it, how could the cross be the gospel? He hadn't gone to the cross yet, and he says, go preach the gospel. So what is the gospel? God is here. That's the good news. The good news is he's not far away, and you don't have to prove anything to him. He proved everything to you first. That's the great news about the God that we love and we worship. He goes first every time. You want to fix your marriage? Actually, let me give you just the two cents on marriage. You want to fix your marriage? Husbands go first. Well, you don't understand. No, I don't have to understand. Husbands go first. Jesus is our good husband. Amen? And we are not individual brides of Christ. The body is the bride of Christ. There's no message in Scripture that says we are an individual body. Like we are individually the bride. No, the bride is all of us together as one bride of Christ. That's why it says in the end, the spirit and the bride will say come. Which means heaven and earth will agree that what we want is Jesus. At some point in this storyline, we begin to agree with heaven that Jesus is what we want. We actually love the man Jesus who came not only to make a way for us because you're like, well, then where does the cross fit into this? Oh, it's very easy. The cross fits into this because it made a way for you to get back to the father without law. The goal of the cross was not just the forgiveness of your sins. It was the forgiveness of your sins unto something. What was the something that the cross came to redeem? You so that you could have access to your dad again. Because that's all he's wanted is the Garden of Eden. This began in a garden and it will end in a garden. I know that because in the book of Revelation it says that the tree of life is where? In the garden. And where is it now? In heaven. It's in a place where we are going. So I have great news for you. It really is all going to be okay. 
But before we get into it, I definitely want to make sure you know that there is a season of weeping and there is a reality where we have to learn how to mourn with those who mourn. But if we spend our lives in mourning, then we'll never walk in freedom. It says, mourning comes in the night, but what comes in the morning? In fact, if you li- if, in fact, if you want it in the life of Jesus, in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews 12, it says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He didn't enjoy the cross. He endured the cross because joy was set before him. What was the joy set before him? You. <laughs> Jesus endured the cross because he saw your face in his mind. When he was going to the cross, he saw you and he endured the cross because he knew there was joy on the other side. And the joy on the other side was you coming back into your redemptive destiny, which is relationship with the father of glory. Your dad is the father of glory. I don't know what you experienced in your life, but he is the father of glory. He's a good dad, and he's not going to wrong you. He is going to show up to your baseball game. It's totally okay. He will be at every baseball game. He's not going to sidetrack you. He's not going to say, I'm too busy today. He's not going to push you aside for work. He's not going to push you aside for ministry. He's not going to push you aside because he doesn't know how to love you. He knows how to perfectly love you. He knows every hair on your head. He knows you by name. These are all truths from the word of God, not my opinion. And with that being said, we have to recognize that we are in a war, not of guns and knives and flesh and blood. We are in a war of ideologies. We are in a war of ideologies. And the ideology is this. How do we take over the planet? I don't know if you know that, but you're in a war for your inheritance. When someone comes to your house and steals something from you, because a little bit of fear, when something happens this close to us, a little bit of fear comes in. We start to like try to hold everything close. We're not going anywhere. We're not doing anything. We're not getting on any planes. <laughs> well, if perfect love casts out fear, then that has to be a response from the enemy, not a response from heaven. Because for me to live is Christ and to die is what? Game. I don't lose here. I, you, once we enter into the kingdom, I can't lose. Live, I win. Die, I win. I live, I'm going to preach the gospel. I die, I get to be with Jesus. I win. There's no loss here. The only loss is if you don't know. But you are at a, this, the reason you're afraid is because if somebody came and stole something from your house, what are you going to do? Get an alarm? Or are you going to leave your front door open? No, you're going to get an alarm. You're going to change your lifestyle because somebody's trying to steal from you. What you don't realize is there is a group of people, there are people all over the planet that are trying to steal what rightfully belongs to you according to Psalm 2. Do you know that this city is not your inheritance, that a church meeting is not your inheritance, a nice house is not your inheritance, a good car and a nice savings is not your inheritance? Look at Psalm 2. Psalm 2 says it this way. Psalm 2 says, and I want to just read it straight from it. Psalm 2 says, I will tell of the decree of the Lord. The Lord said to me, you are my son. What does that mean? He is our He's a good, good father. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. And I am loved by you. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. I heard the decree of the Lord. You are my kid. In fact, before Jesus does any work, no, before he does any ministry, before he gives his life to any sermon, any miracle, what does the Father say over him at the baptism? This is my kid. 
You're not loved because of what you bring to the table. (laughs) Most of us know that kind of love. We know a love that's based on producing. Did you do well? Okay, then you're loved. Did you get good grades? Then you're loved. Did you do that work really well? Then you're loved. So guess what we do? We build a lifestyle around working for God instead of being loved by God. And we do it in our families. We do it in our marriages. We try to give good gifts. We try to work real hard. I've said it before, but the reason the, the, reason the charismatic church loves the gifts so much is because they, most of them don't know how to do intimacy. And when you don't know how to do intimacy, you give gifts. That's why husbands who don't know how to do intimacy just show up with flowers instead of apologizing and having a conversation. (laughs) And we do the same thing in the church, but we make it really spiritual because they're the spiritual gifts. So we show up with spiritual gifts and wonder why we have no intimacy and why people have no character. In fact, have you, read, have you read 1 Corinthians 13? It doesn't start with love is patient. It starts with you can walk in power, signs and wonders, miracles, prophecy, and give away everything you have, even your body, up to the flames. You could be martyred for the faith, and if you have not love, it all amounts to what? Nothing. We know the verse, but we don't know how to live it out. We'd rather just operate in the gifts and say we did a good job. I showed up to church, did the service, showed up at the ministry thing. I did it all. God, aren't I a good Christian? No, this is about relationship. We would tell people it's not a religion, it's relationship, but we don't live it out. You are a child of God. And this is what it says in verse 8 of Psalm 2. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance your inheritance is the entire planet that is why we are in a war of ideologies because others are trying to take over what's rightfully ours and you thought you just were trying to get to work and get home no you're going to work and going home is a part of taking back the planet earth because see most of us are taught how to witness instead of becoming a witness so what do I say? What are, the, the, you know, what are the five points? What should I tell someone when I'm trying to get them saved? Like, do I tell them about the cross? What should I tell them first? Should I just tell them I like them? Should I tell them I'm a Christian at first, or should I not say it for a few weeks? Is there like a time limit on how long until I share with them that they need, they're going to hell? Is that like a, what should I do? No, you become a witness. What does that mean? It means I am so drenched in the revelation that I am a son of the living God, that I am a child of the King of Kings, that everywhere I go, I become the embodiment of the message. Most people hide behind the pulpit. They hide behind their works because they don't know how to embody the very message they know how to preach from the, from the Bible. You are at war. It is true. The entire Bible is we are at war. But we are not at war against flesh and blood. But against powers and principalities in heavenly places. And you're like, that sounds super weird, Jake. It's only super weird if you don't realize that you are mostly spiritual and only sort of flesh. The Bible says, where are you seated right now? Like literally, where are you seated right now? In this room or in heavenly places with Christ Jesus? And the answer is yes. My body is here. But I am actually accessing heavenly places in Christ Jesus. With him, seated with him, with the Father. 
that's just dumb. That just sounds weird. Anybody agree? That's just weird, okay? Let's just agree that it's weird and move on, okay? We don't understand it. Our brains can't comprehend it. But what we need to know is although we're sitting in this room, we have access to everything the Father has access to. So how do we win a war of ideologies if we're not going to go to war with guns and knives and physical? Because most people, their answer is, if I'm met with war, I want to go against with war. In the same manner as which, as which I was struck, I want to come back and strike. And, most, and I want to let you know right now from, look, this is not necessarily the expressed consent of Granite Creek Church. So just you can put this all on me and not on Granite Creek. Josh can back it up or send you an email later, okay? All I'm saying is just put this all on me. I'm giving you my version, okay? I don't want any, everybody always tries to go way corporate instead of going, that guy said that instead of a whole movement said it. Okay, that person said it. I'm saying this. But here's what I believe. We have no right, according to New Testament Christianity, to go to war with any other nation in order to defend ourselves with guns and knives. That is me. That does not dishonor our veterans because that is the reality that we were in. We get forced into things, we get pushed into things, and we're learning how to walk out our faith in a very corporate manner. But I want to say this. According to the New Testament, it says this. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence. We're going to put the verse up there. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the, the kingdom forcefully advances, or the violent take it by force. Here's what that means. That there is people coming against us with guns and knives, and our answer is to lay a hold of heaven with the same force that they are coming against us to take our lives. We should be using the same force to lay hold of heaven. Because we plead a better blood. There is a better, do you understand the kind of, do you understand the kind of power that is latent within your body? Do you understand the king of glory is actually inside of your body right now? He is actually inside of your body. And we don't forcefully come advance in the way that the world comes against us. And this is most people's response. Well, Jake, in the Old Testament, God had people go to war. Yes, I understand that. But the Old Testament, we are under the law. And the wages of sin in the law, the wages of sin is what? Death. So God calls up armies and said, they have been in sin. They now must be taken care of and dealt with because there is no grace to cover them. In fact, if you read your Bible, you'll find out that the times that they went to war without God telling them to do it, what happened? They lost. Look at Saul. Look at, oh, look at, uh, look at um, uh, Eli's wicked sons. Eli's wicked sons, it says they went to war against the Philistines, but God didn't tell them to go to war. So how many people died? Thousands, thousands died because they went to war not based on the word of God. In fact, not only did they lose lives, what did they really lose? the ark. So not only did they lose lives, but they lost presence because they decided to fight based on what they saw instead of what they heard from heaven. It's okay. Let's go to the New Testament. I'll give you more Bible. Don't worry. We're going to get hopeful. I'm just trying to teach you how we go to war. The church loves worship and loves preaching, but they don't like prayer. That's just fact, you guys. I mean, I'm, on, I'm just in your hearts. I'm not asking for a raise of hands. But if we said, hey, we're going to pray for six hours tonight over what happened in San Bernardino, like we're actually going to pray, honestly, 10 people show up. We'll show up to the service, but we don't show up to pray. And we wonder why we have no power. 
You, in fact, look at it this way. The disciples could have asked Jesus how to do anything. Amen? They could have said, Jesus, teach us to preach. Jesus, teach us how to heal the sick. Jesus, teach us how to deliver others from demons. Teach us, te- Jesus, could you teach us how to exegete the scriptures? Jesus, could you teach us how to get wisdom? How could you teach us how to do these things? Could you teach us? What, is, what do the disciples ask Jesus? Teach us how to pray. Why? Because they connected everything I just listed to his prayer life. They watched Jesus live and they saw one thing in common with all the miracles, all the preaching, all the deliverance, all the signs and wonders. They connected the dots, being with Jesus for three and a half years, they connected the dots that all the power was directly connected to his prayer life with the Father. No wonder we have no power to come against powers and principalities because we're trying to do in the flesh what we're supposed to be doing in the spirit. Your ability to com- combat violence and to combat evil is directly connected to your connection to pray- in prayer to the Father of glory. Matthew 5. And this is what we're going to wrap up with. I want you to hear this from the mouth of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. He says this. By the way, your Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers, not the peacekeepers. (laughs) What's the difference? A peacekeeper, a peacekeeper goes around and goes, are you okay? Are you okay? Everybody okay? Are you okay? You all right? You okay? How do you feel? Are you okay? Everybody okay? Everybody okay? Okay, good. Anybody try to do that? Does it ever work? It's like the moment you're over here and this person's fine, you get to this person and by the time you're at this person, that person's not okay anymore. And you're like, okay, so we start the process over. Are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? No, we are peacemakers, not peacekeepers. And peacemakers stand their ground, unmovable and unshakable, so that way when everything shakes, those who want peace know who to cling to. Do you understand that's the role of manhood, just in case you're wondering? You want to know what manhood looks like in the Bible? It doesn't look like a camping trip. It doesn't look like a fishing trip, no matter how much you like them. The Bible does not define manhood by your ability to camp. Or how much you like sports. Manhood is defined by those who will become pillars in society. So that when everything shakes, people have dads to cling to who will not be moved. That's why it says, before the great and terrible day of the Lord. I'm going to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the hearts of the children back to the fathers so that there is no way we can move in times of trouble because true fathers carry the father's heart and point towards the father and so children can run to them and say just point me to dad come on no I'm not moved do you think I'm moved by San Bernardino no I was going to be real with you for a second again the express purpose of explaining my heart not Granite Creeks. (laughs) How can that be a surprise to us when we've murdered 50 million babies in, in abortion? Bloodshed in the land. Bloodshed in the land. We're outraged over bloodshed down the street when yet we've accepted and never talk about the innocent blood of 50 million babies. And 
And I understand the role of pastoring people through their hearts. If you've paid for an abortion or you've been through one, you know the gut-wrenching pain. That shouldn't, that shouldn't, that's not a, that is not somebody rebuking you. That's saying you know what it feels like and we cry and weep with you. And we say there's mercy. God's kind. But hear this. This is how we fight according to the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard it said in verse 43, chapter 5, Matthew. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Again, pray. Pray. Do you know how many people would come against me if I said we should be praying for the shooters? But that's what your Bible says. Do you know how many people would be outraged on social media if I said, let's just start a prayer meeting for those families of the people who were shooting? In fact, some of you in this room are like, ooh, uh, it doesn't feel good to say that. Right? Let's just be honest. It doesn't feel good to say that. But do you see it? In fact, keep going. Watch this. So that, so that, here it goes. Ready? You may be what? The proof that you really believe he's your dad is the fact that you can pray for those who hurt you most. Because I know where my help comes from. I know where my hope is found. And he finishes it like this. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do that? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The word perfect there is complete and mature, which means that you are set apart from the generation you're a part of, which means that you look different, you act different, you sound different, you live different, you love different. Amen? You are not the same as the people you are around, which means you have no right to respond the way that they respond. They're stealing your inheritance, but your inheritance is yours because the God who created it is the one who gave it to you. And the world cannot steal that from you. Murderers, liars, cheaters, thieves cannot steal from you what God himself has given to you as children. I want you to check out this video real quick. It's just like five minutes. Then I'm going to pray for us. Amen? Man, check this out. Yeah, isn't it amazing how a man can find himself alone? Calling to the darkness for an answer that he's never known. Yeah, isn't it amazing how God can take a broken man? Yeah, let him find a fortune, let him ruin it with his own two. Climbs on up the hill on a rock on which he stands. He looks back at the crowd. He 
looks down at his hands and he says, I am a difference maker. Oh, I am a difference maker. Oh, I am the only one that speaks to him. I am friendliest of friends of God. We're all sinners, we're all astronauts So if you're beating death, then raise your hand But shut up if you're not Cause I am a difference maker Oh, I am only one who speaks to him And I am the friendliest of friends of God
Let's just stand together. Jesus stretches out his arms, and this is what he says. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And this is what I want to say to you. This is what I want to say to you today. Is that there still is a hope that God is still moving. And I started this service by saying, State of, the un- state of the universe address. He's still on the throne. He's still good. He's still God. Do you believe that? <laughs> He's really that amazing. So I just want to pray for hope for you, and then we're going to take an offering as we end. But Lord, I ask right now, resurrect hope in our lives. Hebrews 11, it tells us faith is being sure of what we hope for. God, we want a firm foundation of hope. We stand in the assurance of our hope, the assurance of our faith, the assurance that what you said is true. I showed you that video because we believe that God is still moving in the nations of the earth. He is still moving in our nation. There is still hope for America. There is still hope for California. There is still a radical reality of all that he is and all that he's doing right in our midst in Jesus' name. And I pray for your families. I pray for your kids. I pray for your marriages that God would release hope on you today. That he would surprise you with hope today. That you'd find yourself silly with hope today. Looking at things as positive instead of what's going to fall out next. No, he is good. And he has a plan and a hope and a future for you. In Jesus' name. Amen.